Tom Bernard Show with Techmaster <laughs> Ralph Vashu MD. Joseph Brentmeyer. <laughs> Joan Steppen Brandmeyer. Andy Brand Bernard. Cassie Schrader. And Tom Brant Bernard Brandmeyer. <laughs> <laughs> I just use Catherine's name, my name, yeah, your name. Just get everybody out. And Johnny Brandmeyer. And Johnny Brandmeyer. We'll be right back, hour three. Joni and Joey have decided to stay for one more segment, which I love. It's wonderful. Thank you. Held hostage. Held hostage. (laughs) We'll be right back, Tom Bernard. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. You know, it's really funny to be playing this today because... Over the weekend, I was listening to, uh, we had a KQ at a Southern Fried Weekend, and I heard the song by Charlie Daniels' band, The South's Gonna Do It Again. I thought, my God, what a redneck song that thing is. <laughs> Didn't realize it at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I'll tell you what, old boys down here going to get together. It's like, whoa, <sighs> a little scary. Charlie Daniels is actually a very, very nice guy. He's very laid back, a real nice guy. But we've been talking about many things, and it's intriguing because all this stuff... You know what I love about conversations like this? All these things just pop into your head. Right. Like yeah, the guy it. choking the other kid with the, right. the, mm-hmm. the inner tube or the massive egos of people in the media. The they're there to protect themselves. The bigger ego they have, they're protecting themselves from right. something. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess maybe people could understand that. Did you always did you feel like you had a big ego? When I was in the, my teens and 20s, I, I yes, yeah. I did. I was, I was impossible to work with. Yeah, is that what got you fired? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also have, because of the way I grew up, I have this protection thing mm-hmm. that, like, if somebody bothered you and I saw them do it, I would become enraged. And mm-hmm. not just angry. I get really mad. Yeah. Right. It's a protection thing. You, know, yeah. you grew up in North Minneapolis, you have to make sure that everybody understands, I will lose my mind if you bother my family. Yeah. Right. So, and I, it's still with me today. It's really weird. Is it a zero through seven thing? Just no, to do yeah. a call back? To... <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. honest to God, it's it's a, it's a why I don't drink anymore. Yeah. Because I would laugh and have a great time be drinking. Ah, everything great. And somebody would do something to a friend of mine. Ugh, and go go I south just, quick. Just go off the deep end. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. That's funny because my dad, I know your history with your dad too, but my dad was a drinker, but he actually got nicer. When he drank, that's wonderful. I know. So we're kind of going. But you drive on both sides of the road. (laughs) Drink, Dad. My favorite though is in northern in northern Wisconsin. He got caught on the left side of the road. Um, and he, he his argument his argument was I pay taxes for the whole thing. That was his <laughs> argument. 
wrong with that? So he maintained log- logic while he was <laughs> right, right. drunk. So, so it wasn't that he was in England. Yeah, I thought it was in England. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. Right, right. So you could be nicer if you drank more. So he really got nicer when he drank. Yeah, it was very bizarre. He was uh, and you actually like to hang out with him more. And he was, you know, but you know, it's like I kept telling him, I don't need another friend. I just, I could really use a dad at that yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> at exactly. that point in life. Was it because he could relax then? I, you know, I'm not sure what it was. What do you I, do for a living? Uh, he was a drywaller, a construction guy. He hung drywall. I know. And we had to do it with him, too. Oh, you did? Oh, my God. He tried to hang a drywall in our basement once. It was not it pretty. Was, is that what you were looking for? <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like the wall had well, a belly button and a little... It's, yeah, you know, I know. It was, Somehow yeah. Johnny missed that. I don't know how he missed oh, out on that. And, and Michael and Jimmy were musicians and big musicians, mm-hmm. so they would you know, have the lunch and all the food done before they even got on, you know, to the scout, to the scout, to the location. Um, but I spent two summers with him doing it. It was not fun. Oh, God, no. That's a tough job. Yeah, but I think after that, you know, his theory was work hard, play hard, you know, that kind of thing. Yep, and yep, yep. He played hard. But, yeah, he just got and really nice. died watching MacGyver. And he died watching MacGyver. <laughs> he yeah. did, really? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, literally just heart <laughs> stopped, goal. sitting there watching MacGyver, remote in his hand, just no struggle at all. So in 1970. Uh, God, I don't remember, 75, 76. This is when I got fired and nobody would hire me. How so long? Before I went, oh, five or six years. Wow. It was a long time, yeah. But uh, I was an iron worker for a while. Really? And it must have been earlier than that because I had a <laughs> giggle over Because I had long, oh, his dad was an My iron dad worker. was an iron worker. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll tell you why. <laughs> so I, I had long hair. Yeah. You know? And I'll never forget all the guys on the on the job. I was there. I started on Monday, and by Friday, he said, Hey, Tom, you going to come back and have some drinks with us? We're going to have some drinks. I said, Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, we'll come back. We'd like to have you. So we're, we're sitting in the trailer drinking beer, and after about the third beer, everybody, one guy goes, hey, Tom, can I ask you a question? I said, Yeah, absolutely. He goes, Are you queer? <laughs> <laughs> he thought that I had long hair. I was a queer, a queer to him. I mean, guys know me for four days. Oh, God. Maybe he was sending out feelers. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, you know. You know? It maybe wasn't judgmental. All off the air. I cannot. There's no way I could tell you the story on the air about about one guy. Oh, God. Why don't you just leave out every other word and we'll try to figure Aaron, it out? No. Even on a podcast? No. Uh, no, I, would no. Be, I would be called, because I told the story, I would be called a racist. Uh-huh. And, oh, my God. Iron workers say whatever they want. Yeah. My dad was in construction, so I was oh, around same a lot of story. It. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys hooked up because of a problem. <laughs> construction family. But, if you, but, if, but, if, but an iron worker will say whatever he wants. But if you were to contradict him, He'll knock your block. Oh off. God, yes. Mm. They they are unto themselves. They are a, a group unto themselves, in that they're you, when you talk to them, you're never quite certain when they're going to just go off and hit you. Isn't that what wow. you just told wow. us about you? Wow. Yes. But it, but it's so not, you were destined to be an iron. Maybe, yeah, I should have instead being an iron worker instead of a, instead maybe, of a maybe radio iron worker is what yeah. helped you. Yeah, that's true. Do oh, they're all like what that. you do. Yep. Really, wow. yeah. you My, say what you want. Right? I mean, these people. Walk on I beams. Oh, yeah. oh my yeah. god! Right. Twenty stories right. up in the, yeah. right. and they right. don't care. Right. It's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they, they they used to throw white hot rivets rivets each other <laughs> at each other. These are not these are these are like three or four pound white hot rivets oh, that yeah. throw them at each other just for fun. For fun, <laughs> you know they would. I love and, and I I knew my dad. He was that way. Tom. Some people might say that he can be that way. <laughs> Maybe um, once in a while. Every other iron worker I've met since is exactly the same. Wow. I have a buddy in California. Wow. He's uh, Conrad Monte. He oh, is yeah, Conrad. Conrad. He was an iron worker, and he has that same edge. And it is a very interesting, <laughs> uh, very interesting thing to see. I mean, they are just. I, don't mess with them. Don't mess with them. We, oh, well, God. you told you told a story about playing football. It was it was touch oh, yeah. touch football. Except they they you said did you say they, yeah they touch you in the face with their fist. Oh yeah, I was lined up across from a guy. We're playing touch football in the in the yard, playing touch football, and so I'm I'm playing you know the wide receiver, tight end, whatever it was, and I'm looking looking over at the center. He snaps the ball. I turn around. The guy boom punches me right in the mouth. I'm like, oh, okay, this is how this is going to go. This is the game. It's like, okay. It's a different world. It's a totally different world. I love that, though. Must have been crazy growing up with a dad with that kind of mentality. And he was, the the, uh, closed head injury had taken the edge off him because he had a closed head injury before I was born that that I've never seen 
a person survive. He had a base or skull fracture. Ooh. I've never had a patient that survived that injury. Yeah. Ever. But an iron did. worker. Wow. But he <laughs> did. He survived <laughs> that. Too tough you know, to die. So he's my dad. <laughs> and I always true. thought, oh, he had a little bit of edge to him because of that. Nope. It's because he's an iron worker. It was that personality. They're, mm-hmm. met, they're, they're a group that are have a unique... Uh, they have a unique experience from age zero to seven. Honest <laughs> uh, to God. I love that. It's true. That's funny. The, the 49ers are the people who run the cranes. They used to be called, are they still 49ers? Yeah, the 49ers. They're, 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 they're 49ers the operating engineers, yeah. They're operating engineers. <clears throat> Our crane guy, because he had several people doing it, but the guy that I always worked with, um, I had to go up and ask him something, so I had to crawl up and, and go not go into the cab, but talk into the cab yeah so i'm talking to him i look down he has a cooler with a case of beer in it <laughs> it's like what <laughs> these guys up on these tall buildings he's drinking beer and operating a crane <laughs> holy cow There's a, holy god that's a good combination my dad, oh, yeah, had, that's really my dad good. had a good friend called six-pack jack and, and that was that was literally that's how i met him i mean he introduced himself yeah. as hi i'm six-pack jack and he would have the six pack done, you know, in the morning before they even oh, started yeah. hanging, oh, you know, yeah. five eighths, you know, twelve inch or twelve foot sheetrock. So it's like okay. Well, you have to do when you're doing those kind of works, those which have a certain sense of a monotony to them, yeah. painting, yeah, yeah painting that's true. dry. Well, yeah. there's, there's a there's a you have to do it well. It's a craft to it, but there's a monotony to it. You know, I really think those people. That's where legal marijuana comes in, because oh, yeah. no, because yeah. because they they are able to do that in a, in a tiny bit um, uh, altered state where where they can do it, do it well, safely, yeah, and still, you know, be able to have an enjoyable day. And I, I, <laughs> Painters, you'll come back, it'll be like a Peter Max mural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peter Max. I feel much better now. Yeah. Peter Max or Salvador Dali. Yeah. God, what up? We did a story once over at the Pearson Salted Nut Roll Company. Oh, I love that I, Those are oh, so much fun. But there was a woman there that we talk about all the time. You know, everybody has a different idea of what success in life is. And this woman would stand at this big table. They would drop tons of peanuts on that table like a couple of times a day and she would sort through them picking out the oh burnt ones and, As she, a conveyor belt one by. and she told oh. us about how much she loved her job and it's like <laughs> I, I understand yeah, i couldn't do it no, no so what got you out of, what got you out of iron work um <laughs> i got a call from johnny canton remember really? johnny canton yes oh, yeah, i do absolutely and he said you, you should come up and i got fired from that job eventually <laughs> Um, what happened was Dick Poe five. So, so I left radio pretty much. And so I was out of radio for seven years, not five. That's years. amazing. But I, uh, in 1982, I got a call from Dick Poe, who's a general manager at KQRS asking me if I want to work, do a morning show with Mesa Kincaid. But why would they even know about you if you've been gone for so long? I, I got really, really good ratings. I was just really hard to work with. Okay. Uh, very, very, I, it's weird. I have to be on time. I absolutely have to be on time. Yeah. This show drives me nuts because we're never on time. I'm like you. Oh, I, it drives me nuts not to be on time. I know. Oh, yeah, well, Catherine. Yeah, I'll be out in five minutes. Right. I'm an hour and a half right. later. Okay, honey. Right. Right. Let's go. Let's pick up the pace. All right. All right. Um, it just They thought, I guess, I had grown up a little bit and yeah. matured enough that maybe I'd give it another try. It lasted six months and got fired again. <laughs> and then I moved to New York and did voiceover for four years. Yeah. And April of 1986, Catherine called me and said that she was, she was pregnant and, uh, before Andy was born. Andy was born that October 26th. So she talking me, she said, I, I said, well, we can't raise a kid in Manhattan at 20th yeah. Street and 2nd Avenue. That's not going to mm-hmm. work. So um, I said, why don't I think about it? You think about it. And we'll figure out what to do. And as I, back then, the, the phone was put on a cradle. Young people have no idea what the hell that even yeah, is. I know. It's like a cradle. With the long cord. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. long cord. <laughs> so as I put the phone down, it rang. Literally, when I put it down, it rang immediately. And it was Dave Hamilton at KQRS in 1986. He said, do you have any interest in doing morning radio? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. Well, he answered my question. What are we going to do? I'm going to wow. move back to Minnesota do radio. and do radio. Wow, in 86. Do you get the idea your life is kind of planned out in some very oh, weird yeah, way? Oh, yeah, it is weird. It yeah. is very, very. Well, the show's been on the air for 33 years now, and I'll probably be there at least seven or eight more years. Wow. Wow. I don't Have think you it, ever done a documentary? Because you know that I'm 
really like documentaries. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes documentaries more than I do. You really? and I have a lot in common. There. I love I really documentaries. Do. I mean, I'd... seriously, because, you, you know, when you, when you flashed on, you, know, you talked about, you know, Charlie Daniels and all these people. I mean, you know, if you really sat down and thought about all the people you talked to and all the people yeah. in and out of your studios yeah. and all the stuff that you've done and all these crazy stories. You should have started 33 years ago if you're going to do a yeah, documentary. Yeah, I know. It would have been nice to start a long time ago, because I know you, you wanted to do a TV show a while back, and, you know. Yeah, that was but, a long time. That was a long time. At Carol Evans. Well, it was oh, it wasn't Care then it was WUSA or something. WUSA. When, when was that WUSA? Uh, uh, that would have been back in '86, maybe. Yeah, so that's yeah, about right. Ago. I don't know. I think it could be a cool documentary. That guy hated me too. That new general manager, the guy with the limp. Remish. Oh, they no. all hated me. So don't worry. No, the guy with the limp. What was his name? <laughs> Hal something. Oh no, yeah. Hal something. God, uh, he hated me. See, no. Yeah, they... nice, Joey. That's Sorry. real nice. <laughs> they never let me upstairs. So I don't you know. know. <laughs> okay, speaking of that, I got to just flash another one thing. What? We're we're in in um, Florida. We're doing a special with uh, Wycliffe Jean, a multi-camera thing. You know, a million people there, and I'm there scouting and the the producer goes i want you to introduce you to your handheld camera on stage and a guy came across the stage oh god i'm not exaggerating like that and he was the handheld camera i was gonna say for the people i know for the people who can't see he was he was he had a very 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 big he had a very very big limp oh i love the back of my head back of your red head that was my handheld camera anyway that was that flashback that flashback moment so all right you know i absolutely I absolutely love documentaries. I watch documentaries all the time. They're the best. They are. They are. They really are. And I guess that must be why I like biographies and autobiographies, too. I like to know the truth, you know, as close as you can get to the truth of something. If they're done well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just saw about one minute of a documentary yesterday, and it was called The The Final Words of Charles Manson. It, it, it was on, I think, the Reels channel. I think that's what it was on. Did you just go to the last few minutes? <laughs> no, it's just it just popped on TV, and I was like, yeah. God, this is interesting. And they were interviewing Charles Manson uh, just before he died. He said, you have to understand something. I'm doing this as a favor to you. You're, you can, there's nothing you can do for me. I, I, you, know, you do not understand. Nobody on earth understands that I am not only the most famous person alive i am the most famous person who ever lived mm. and it was just eerie wow. like, oh god wow. Wow. and he was a fan of the fame huh he's kind of very proud of himself for being famous <sighs> fan oh. of the fame see here's another 15 minutes that went by why did what what the hell? Hell? go by so quickly it's 2 30 it's terrible it yeah, you probably gotta go you we gotta... should talk about your medical career now yeah, yeah andy <laughs> Okay, Andy, Andy, tell us about it. Uh, In the next eight seconds, (laughs) that's what we have. We got to think of a name for your medical practice. You guys have to come back in. You got to come back in and talk. It's great. (laughs) I mean, that that was like an hour and a half went by in a snap. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Come back anytime. I love talking to you guys. And I'll tell you that story off the air because I cannot talk. (laughs) You're not going to like it either. (laughs) We'll be back, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here with the founder and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski, who's here to talk about a great service at an app that you can get and use from North American Banking Company. It's called XCheck. All right, Michael, my buddy, my pal of mine, why do I need this and why is it cool? We developed the app to compete with the other payment applications across the country. We wanted something that was safe, secure, easy to use, and most of all, free. Say, for example, Alex needs some money and you want to send her some money, you can do it right away in the payment app and would get into her account without her having to go to the bank. Most convenient for the princess in your life. And the prince Andy, too, because I wouldn't want the kids having to leave the house to get cash. I wouldn't want that. No, there'd be no sense in that. You'd have to buy the gas then, too. (laughs) Just like at my house, Tommy. (laughs) They're going to love it. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? Celebrating 20 years of providing a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Just like all of you, I'd been hearing about MyPillow and was skeptical that it's as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first MyPillow and I love it because I have a pretty big melon, pretty big head, and MyPillow will prop it right up. I can get my neck aligned and I sleep very well because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for my listeners. MyPillow is offering buy one MyPillow and get another absolutely free. Don't delay. Order now. This offer expires August 1st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, 
why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146. Use the promo code TOM or go to MyPillow.com, but make sure to use the promo code TOM. Call 1-800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. Close enough, though. Yeah. That's all. This is reckless. Oh, I love reckless. More Jerry Lee Lewis. Who is this actually saying? This is Jerry. It is Jerry Lee. Yep. Breathless-a. Breathless-a. <laughs> yeah, I love it. He said, doesn't say breathless. He goes, breathless-a. I love Jerry Lee. Dennis Quaid played him in Great Balls of Fire, right? Yes, that was a phenomenal movie. Yeah, he did a great job. He did a really, really nice job of that whole thing. That was so nice. First, Joey Brandmeier is one of my favorite people in the world. He's a great guy, very smart guy. His brother, Jonathan Brandmeier, was a huge morning guy in Chicago for many, many years. Nice guy. I've never sat down and talked to him, but uh, he seemed very pleasant. Joan Stephan was on uh, local television for a long, long time. And it's a very nice, caring, and giving person. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. a very nice person. So I, I invited him to come back whenever they want to because I just, uh, having those kinds of conversations where you get these ideas, and it's just, things just occur to you in the middle of that whole deal. Yeah. You know, that why people, people are taught to not be kind. They learn from other yeah, people. They, they learn that behavior. I can't be kind because you're way too crazy and mean. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with insecurity. I mean, the bigger oh, yeah. the ego, oh, yeah. the more insecure, insecure you are. And I think, I think they have that ego to kind of counterbalance that. And you see it in kids all the time. They're so insecure. Yeah. And that's why they act out the way they do. And I tell my kids all the time, it's okay to not wear whatever, the newest shoes. Or it's okay not to have the you know best uh, you know backpack or things like that because kids are very materialistic mm-hmm. and I think that's where it starts off and so they always think that they're not cool enough or insignificant and I just tell them it's okay who yeah. cares and uh, it's, tough to, it's tough though and I tell my kids too and I said if I find out you're bullying a kid everything you do to that kid I'm gonna do to you I like and it. you're not gonna like it and so the, it, my kids are and I always tell them. Be a leader. If you see somebody picking on somebody, say something. Tell them that ain't cool to sit there and, you know, rag on another kid for something that's stupid or insignificant. You know, and uh, my sister was bullied pretty bad. So, of course, me being the big sister, I had to Your kick sister some. was bullied by, by boys and girls or just girls? Mostly girls. Yeah. Girls are vicious. They can be, like they Catherine. Can be <laughs> yeah, now that she's not here, you can say that. Now that she's not here, I can be yeah, a tough so guy. I had a, <laughs> yeah. I had to kick a lot of grade school butt when I was a kid that were picking on my little sister. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a tough deal. Mm-hmm. That you know it was great for me in that in that era because I had three younger brothers, Todd, Tony, and Troy. And the great thing is that my best friend Andy Fisher, uh, whenever anybody picked on on my one of my brothers, I never heard about it because Andy heard about it first and went over and beat the hell out of the guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Well, I mean, I was really never bullied or anything because. I treated everybody the same. I yeah. and I got along with everybody. I didn't isolate myself with a certain group, even though I had friends that wanted me to. They wanted me to be in this. Back then, they call them cliques. Yep. They wanted me to be with this group. I said, no, I'm not going to sit here and uh, put a label on myself on who I am because I'm just me. So. Yeah. And and I had the opposite opposite problem. No one would have me in their clique, so I would just sort of it was forced into being. Uh, being to get along with everybody, I kind of got along with everybody. Yeah, people tease you and whatnot, but it was never, yeah. I was never assaulted verbally or physically. Yeah, I, I mean, was. Kids tease like here and there. I mean, I always got yeah. teased by my, about my real name and my height and size, but I'm like, whatever. You know, I just brushed it off because I'm like, uh, it's not that important. I'm not going to get upset over something that stupid and trivial. So. One great thing you do realize by being in a really poor neighborhood uh-huh. is if anybody thinks they're better, he's like, your family's as poor as mine is. <laughs> you, who gives a rat? I mean, I suppose if you grew up in a middle or an upper middle class neighborhood, there's going to be that one family that has a lot more money than anybody else, so you kind of don't stack up. My neighborhood is like, we're all dirt poor. <laughs> who, mm-hmm. cares? who cares what you do or what you are? There was, 
there was not a whole lot of bullying in my neighborhood because it was too dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, it was. That, it was yeah. absolutely, I mean, you bully someone, they could stab you because they'd seen their dad or their uncle do it or something. So they're like, oh, okay, well. So, so, they, so they, they had an example, and they knew that it could be done. Yeah. I tell you what, we had a guy that I, and I've talked about this before, I grew up with a guy named Bobby. He was not a big guy in any way, shape, or form. He was small. He was very slight. But you never wanted to get in a fight with Bobby because he would not stop till he won. Yeah. He would literally keep fighting until you got so tired. I mean, I never fought him, but I watched him fight other guys. He would fight so long that the other guys would get tired and give up, and then he'd just beat the hell out of them. It was phenomenal. <laughs> he just wouldn't give up. I just, I don't know, maybe it was, his, I think his old man was in prison, so yeah. it probably and, made him a little angry. And Andy yeah. Fisher just ended it quickly. Oh, Andy Fisher ended it quickly. That, honest God, Andy, at his biggest, Andy was probably... Five eight and about a hundred and maybe one hundred and seventy five pounds. Maybe he was tougher than hell. Oh my God, was he tough? It's unbelievable. I knew a couple kids like that, and they were you know small, but man, were they scrappy. <laughs> and if they knew they couldn't win a fight, <laughs> what they did was, was is they acted more crazy yep. than the other person, like insane. And the, they would be like, "Oh, I'm not touching this kid. This kid's nuts," and they would just walk away. I mean, they would. I had a kid I went to high school with. He started punching himself and just said, "Come on, come on!" and punching himself and just. But that was his uh, de- defense tactic. That is you really know? weird. I've seen people punch themselves. Yeah, and, and you don't want to mess with somebody that's that nuts. It's pretty nuts to be punching <laughs> yourself <laughs> yeah. in the face. Yeah, that's, that's, some people might say that's on the edge. Yeah, so that's hey, on the edge. I guess you got to do what you got to do to survive, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. And you never punched yourself in the face, did you? Nope. I didn't think so. I didn't either. I didn't have any interest in punching myself in the face. It just is the way it is. That was interesting when Joan Stefan and, and uh, Joey Brandmeyer were here. She's talking about uh, she has, uh, what she say, three grandchildren now? Mm-hmm. They have three grandchildren, and uh, I think there were four in two and seven days. Yep. Right? Aww. But you do get that impression, and it happened when Fawn was born, certainly when Sage came along. You go, I can't believe I'm on the back end of this cycle. I know. That, uh, <laughs> what yeah. the hell is that all about? Yeah, you just went through it. Oh, I just went through it. You, know, you see that grandkid and you go, wait a second. I can no longer deny that, you know, this is, you know, this is change. This changes things. It changes things because you have oh, this no person doubt. to deal with. You know, I'm mean, not to deal with, but to talk to, to yeah. watch grow up, watch mature. Then on the other side, yourself, you go, woo, I got I to do as much as I can because. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here when they're 70. That's exactly right. Uh, And the thing about it is, looking back, when when Fawn was born and Sage came along as well, I thought to myself, I look that old to Fawn? Because I remember thinking my grandparents looked ancient my whole life. I don't ever remember them looking young. Yeah. They looked really old. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, my grand. So I apparently looked like that to my grandkids, right? Yeah, that's, oh, yeah. that's And that's going to be uh, imprinted on her between zero and seven. Like it's just not said. fair. That's not all fair. None of this is fair. No, none, none of this is fair. <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah, I, it's it's pretty interesting when you, you think back. It's like, yeah, I'll be, you know, but when they, I don't know, maybe when they get out of college or something, they'll be going, oh, yeah, yeah. Can you believe a grandpa's been dead for a few years already? And that's you. It's like, what? Wait oh, a minute. Man, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not whoa, what I'm looking, whoa, not what I'm looking for. I, I know, Tom. About? Hey, let me get the Prozac out here. I'm shaking at the bottle yeah. here. Get the Prozac out. <laughs> but then you've got, you know, people like Catherine's parents. Uh, her parents are 92 and 94 years old. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're on to the great-grandchildren, and those two might hang on until great-great. Yeah, <laughs> well, I knew my great-grandmother. Yeah. I, I was... I was uh, four and she was 104 she was exactly 100 years older than me and i'll never forget her she was unbelievable but uh yeah knowing someone that's 100 years old and it didn't seem like anything to me it was just life right Mm -hmm. oh you know your great grandmother's 104 i'm like yeah so i didn't realize how unusual that was (laughs) at that time especially at that time yeah well she's a little tiny woman no so you know those people live like you you'll live forever yeah my my great-grandmother Mary, who is shorter than me on my mom's side, she lived to like a hundred and two, I think. Yeah, there you go. And my grandma, Jakey, my mom's mom, she's still kicking at 90. So, oh, there you go. 
Mm-hmm. Ralph, do you think the reason I just lost all that weight is because I have grandchildren? Maybe. It, well, you know, that might have been the driving point there. It does reshape the way you look at yourself, or the not so much you look at yourself physically, but the way you look at yourself uh, time-wise and emotionally, mm-hmm. and you look at yourself with regards to a responsibility. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that that baby comes. I was talking to a, I was talking to a cardiac surgeon, and he's not doesn't have grandchildren. And I said, well, you know, they said, well, we have this place in New York, and we'll probably keep that place there, but where one daughter's might be moving away. And I said, and I looked at him, and I said, yeah, wait until the grandkids come. All changes. You'll be where that grandkid is. I suppose that is true. Is Dr. John with us? Yes, he is. Dr. John <laughs> Huber, how are you? I you. am amazing. How are you today? Dr. John the Night Tripper. That's what I'm going to call you from now. I love Dr. John. <laughs> Dr. Well, you should see me in my uh, my scrubs i'm wearing at the hospital today my patients are just freaking out <laughs> why what's the, why what's the, oh you were in the you were in the, oh, uh, the well i i've got lime green scrub bottoms on and my top is this uh picture of the night sky with all these stars and solar systems and stuff in them <laughs> where did you get that i you know i go online and i search for uh, like bizarre scrubs and uh, costume scrubs and things like that. And, you know, I got some, some flame orange scrubs that make it look like I'm a escaped <laughs> convict that I like to wear a lot of times. And, uh, Honest to God. Dr. John yeah, Huber the, with us. Uh, Dr. John, by the way, Dr. Ralph Basham is in studio on Tuesday, so he's here today. It's going to be interesting. Uh, awesome. Talk, yeah, the, the coupons cold food and basketball why are today's americans calling the police over trivial things why is everybody overreacting to everything now dr john well i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh we're losing that ability to communicate and negotiate with each other and if somebody doesn't believe what i believe they must be offensive and they're offending me so i'm gonna i'm gonna press charges against them and it's a pretty scary thing when you live in a democracy. It's a very scary thing to me, to tell you the truth. Everybody. Well, first of all, do you think that the onset of social media has a lot to do with this, that people think they can say whatever they wish? Oh, yeah. I think that that has a big, big thing to do with that, to be part of it. I just don't, it just amazes me because they use a fake name, so they think they can say whatever they want to somebody. There's going to be no consequences to it whatsoever. How do they not feel like complete cowards for doing something like that? Well, they are. Well, uh, it goes back to integrity. They are, they are cowards, exactly. Yeah. Yep, it's all true. So why do people, uh, Americans, we're talking about Americans today, they, I cannot believe the 911 calls that the police are getting now. It's just unbelievable, the things that people are calling about. It, it is unbelievable. Yeah, I, like, okay, so we're talking conventional wisdom says it's probably a good idea to call the police in a fire or medical emergency as well as a serious crime, right. such as robbery, domestic violence, or sexual assault is being committed. However, some Americans feel that law enforcement should have a more expansive role in our lives. How can they, and this is what confuses me, Dr. Huber, how can they hate police officers, but the police officers should take care of me? Well, which one is it? <laughs> which is it? It can't be both. Well, they can't be both, and the prob- that's part of the problem. They're not thinking clearly at all. I mean, uh, you know, and, and we, we talk about this and say, you know, this is ridiculous, coupons. Well, you know, I did a little research, and last year coupons accounted for uh, a loss somewhere between 200 and $600 million in this country. Oh, God. So that's from credit or coupon fraud, and people are doing 10 or more years for copying coupons and using them fraudulently. Uh, it's, it's pretty bizarre. So there's a real crime there, and uh, it, it, it's kind of... It, it kind of adds fuel to the fire when you have somebody who gets fouled at a basketball game. They don't call the foul, and they call the police instead. You know, it's oh. like, wh- what are they thinking? By the way, last week when I read that story on the morning show, I thought of you. It's like, Virginia man calls cops after being fouled in a basketball game? 
What? How would that ever even occur to you to do something like that? <laughs> I do need to take a quick break well, for a couple would... minutes, and then we'll be right back, if that's okay, Dr. Huber. Excellent. Uh, two yes, minutes. yes, let's do that. We'll be right back more with Dr. John Huber, Dr. Ralph Basham, Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers, come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call Roger or Eddie right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. Let's talk about good things. Does your car work? You got a roof over your head? You got kids, parents, a spouse who loves you, or a mate? These are the good things you have because you live in America, the country that has more immigration than any other nation on earth. You have these things because the U.S. military stands at a wall and protects you from any person or thing that would take them away from you. The entire volunteer military that stands at the ready just in case. The greatest fighting force ever known on planet Earth. Every person serving in our military is ready to lay down their life for your freedom. And all too often, they do. I'm the executive director of the Gold Star Ride Foundation, an organization set up to do just one thing. Take care of families left behind when one of our brave fighters loses their life for you. We're riding motorcycles throughout the country to achieve this purpose, and you can help. Go to goldstarride.org and make a donation or learn where we are so you can come and ride with us. It's a small thing we do. It was a huge thing that they did. Goldstarride.org. That's goldstarride.org. Make a donation today. Oh, really? (laughs) She goes with call me because people are calling the police. I was trying to think. I don't think I've ever called the police for anything. Catherine has, but I haven't. I'm, I, have you ever called the police? No. Anybody? You, you I get, have. You well, have? Yeah. Well, I've, no. I've called, um, actually, when I worked nights, a lot of times I'd be driving home, and I would see drunk drivers on the road. And at night, you're just supposed to call 911 because yeah. um, yep. police departments are closed for yep. dispatch. So I'd call, and I'm like, I remember I was <laughs> driving, and I'm like, I'm following this car because he's almost hit two vehicles. So I kept a good distance wow. behind him, but I followed him, and I followed him all the way home. And I sat there until the squad came up. Ooh, I, I like said it. he just got out of his car. The cop went up to the door, and I think he got arrested. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's the deal, bouncing from lane to lane. How about this one, Dr. Huber? This morning on the KQ Morning Show, I read a story about a woman who was arrested for DUI, and they called a tow truck. And the driver of the tow truck was arrested for DUI as well. Wow. <laughs> well, believe it or not, I've, I've actually heard of that before. been involved oh. in a court case like that before. So. <laughs> That's not uncommon. It's unbelievable. Yeah, this guy, apparently this 25-year-old guy who was dispatched from the towing company, uh, he was followed by a, a citizen. Apparently, he was crossing the center line. He was crossing the white line on the right side of the road. He almost went in the ditch. Wow. And this guy was hammered. So i got to be honest with you. Why would a towing company send that person out to go face-to-face with cops? you think they did that on purpose? I bet that towing company didn't know that their employee was drinking like that. I guess not. I I guess that's the whole deal. Um. Are we in a frame of mind now where uh, I I do hate the cops, except for if they can do something for me because I'm the most important thing on earth. If if they can help me, that's great, but I don't like them other than that. Is is that fair? Well, I think we're we're at that point. I mean, we're at a point of freedom of speech where you can say anything you want as long as I agree with it. So that's kind of the... You know, that's that same mentality, and it's where we're at right now. And, you know, the pendulum will swing, swing back in the other direction. I mean, we survived Elvis. Yeah. We'll get through this. It's yeah. just a matter of time. 
It's, see, what I do, and I, I don't know this whole situation, uh, that Bath College in England banned the words, as you know, because they're offensive. <laughs> because if I say to you, as you know, and I don't know, it makes me feel bad. I, my whole life, if I ever heard, as you know, I'd go, well, actually, I don't know, but I'd like to learn about that. See, Dr. Huber, the reason I'd love to do interviews and love to have people in studio like Dr. Basham and Cassie and Andy I love learning things by talking to people, having conversations with them. I could actually learn something and have a more interesting life, can't I? It seems to me. Well, that 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 actually means you have to have a little insight and forethought, and and <laughs> you know we're asking. That's a, that's a huge demand on people. Oh, so it's a demand. So I can't be putting putting them out like that. It, it's just, you know, I. I Dr. Huber and Dr. Basham, you'll like this one. I talked to a friend of mine yesterday who is a director of a pretty big company. Uh, he runs the, the Midwest branch of this big company. And he said, Tom, I, I have to come on your show sometime. And I said, okay, why do you want to come on my show? He said, I am in charge of the entire company, including personnel. And I said, what about personnel? He said, do you know how hard it is to hire somebody under the age of 35 now? It's, it's nearly impossible. And if somebody does come in for an interview, they always state right up front, I'm really not interested unless the starting salary is eighty to $100,000. Right. Now, now, the average income of a family of four in the United States of America, I believe, is $48,000. In the state of Minnesota, exactly. it's $57,000 in Minnesota. So you want almost twice as much as what everybody, all these, so you want as much as two families of four just for yourself to start. To start, exactly. Where do they get those ideas, Dr. Huber? Well, they're so proficient in all their computer programs. I mean, they can use Snapchat and Instagram. Don't ask them to do Word or Excel, though. <laughs> That's a different deal. I, life gets more and more fascinating as, as the days click by. It just amazes me. The things that people think, and they really believe that those things are true. You know what I mean, Doctor Doctor Basham? Yeah, yeah it, it, and, and really, I think it does spring out of social media that they they, they not only think that they're experts in uh, in running a computer, but they also get this feedback from this uh, this artificial uh, intelligence or this artificial world that says that they're so great. And uh, oh yeah, well, I just got a job for sudden. Just they hear these stories, and and, it, and it, I think all those things are are inflated as far as, uh, you know, what the numbers are because it, and that's where they're getting this idea. This is what I'm worth. I'm worth so much. I am worth yeah. so much because yeah. I talk to so many people. I must be worth something. Exactly. And they didn't earn that privilege though. They just took it. Yeah. Who gave them that idea that that was the right way to go about it? Was this, this a high school thing, a college thing? Where did they learn that? I, I think it goes all the way back to parents who don't hold their kids accountable. They go after the schools instead of, yeah, your child threw a chair across the room. Oh. Yeah, you know, instead of, well, hey, you know, my kid doesn't want to do homework, so why are you giving him homework? Of course he's going to throw a chair at you. <laughs> uh, I've seen that argument. I, I used to be oh. a school psychologist. I've seen that argument. And then it goes on to the non-competitive competitive sports where they play a game of basketball during recess and the teacher calls it, calls it a tie and half the kids know that one side won and the other side lost and the first thing they're learning is adults lie, so we can't trust them. Oh, I like that. Oh, huh. Uh, why did we get in the habit of doing that, by the way? Why is everything a tie now and nobody loses and nobody wins? Why do we want... I love to win and if I lose I try to get better it helps me to try to get better it does help you but the thing is if, if you lose then you have to learn how to deal with adversity mm. and mom and dad are too busy playing on their cell phones to sit down and teach you how to do that so they'd much rather just give you everybody a trophy and everybody's equal and the unfortunate truth is that the world is not a safe place the world Everybody starts off breathing. That's that's the equality right there. And yeah. everything else you have to work for. And parents are doing a disservice because they don't want their kids to hurt. I don't want my kids to hurt. But my wife and I have sat and let our kids fail classes because they didn't want to do their homework. Right. 
And it's like, okay, you know, you're, you're going to fail then. And the teachers, you know, they know. We talk to our students' teachers all the time. They know us, at, even at the high school now, they know us. And, you know, my kid's having a hard time. He comes in and talks to us, and, okay, how are we going to work around this? What's the plan? You know, it's not, it's the school's fault. No, you're going to have bosses that are just jerks, and you're going to have to learn to work around it. You know, yeah, that's that is, the way the world works. You, we all need coping skills, and you learn your best coping skills by failure or not succeeding yes. or not getting exactly what you want. That's how you learn coping skills, and that's important. And, and unless you have those skills, you're never going to, you will never be successful, and you're never going to, I don't know, you, you may not even be happy because you cannot function in a world that's dysfunctional. That, that is true, and you're not going to know the value of what you do earn. Yeah, yeah, I think that is true. Dr. Huber, I'm a baby boomer, which means my parents were of the greatest generation. Do you think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves having grown up as, as the children of the greatest generation, what they did? They did change the world forever. The United States, when they stepped into World War II, changed the face of the globe forever. Because uh, it would have been a lot different if Germany had won that war. There's no doubt about that. Was there a pressure? Yeah, my German would be a lot better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was there a pressure that we felt on ourselves? We didn't maybe know where it was from, but did we have to kind of measure up to the greatest generation and we had a problem with that? Is that, that why we, we you know, basically pandered every need our children need these days? Well, I think... I think what happened was the greatest generation came in and they left a better world behind them for us or for their children and offspring. And then the next generation wanted to do the same thing. And we got a couple generations down the road and okay, you know, this is a pretty neat place. You know, what, what more can we improve on? And okay, let's just make it a completely safe place. And I'm not going to, put knee pads around my body, my child's body so that they don't ever get a bump or a bruise. I'm just going to walk around and be that helicopter parent yeah. and make sure that I push away all the adversity. And uh, the problem is, and I've seen it at, at universities when I, when I was teaching full-time, you know, every year the kids had more and more problems. When I started at the university, there was a remedial math and a remedial English class. Now there's almost two full semesters of remedial courses college kids can take. And there's something wrong with that. You know, one other thing about the greatest generation, we just go back for a second. They experienced two things, uh, that generation experienced two things that multiple current generations have, have not even, don't have a concept of. One was a worldwide conflagration, uh, world, you know, a war where there were huge, massive losses and terrible yeah. things going on all at once. And two, they did not experience the depression where there's absolute despair. Yeah. So yeah. when you say they left the world a better place, but yes, but the difference between the depression and the world that they left was such a huge leap that you know you're never going to live up yes. to that. But I really think that the current generation don't understand that. I mean, you saw a glimmer of what that can do to a country when 9/11 happened. Um, you saw how the country can come together, but we haven't had that. We haven't had an experience like that. Thank God. Uh, since then, and most people just don't have that sense of uh, uh, teamwork or uh, national identity. Well, and, and just like right now, instead of focusing on, you know, what what really matters in society, we're, we're watching Kim Kardashian. We're, hey, Ky, Ky, Kylie Jenner is going to be the first billionaire, billionaire, you know, female under the age of 25 or whatever. You know, what does that have to do with anything else? I mean, there's real issues out there we need to be addressing. And we as a society are not talking about those. We're talking about somebody who who became famous because she was famous and then capitalized on that financially and that's the headline. It is indeed. And she really you know, and we you know, we and yet as a society, we we want to compensate that person, along with many other entertainers, including sports stars, with uh, yes. multi-million and billion-dollar values. Whereas we will not support our police, we will not support our teachers, will not support those people uh, the way they should be. I mean, th- they're the cornerstone of our society and the stability of our society and the world. But yet, you know, as a society, we're not. We could oh, they're just oh here here's here's three dollars. Get out of here. 
I think, oh, I want to see great right. Christian Jenner's stuff, uh, junk. Ugh. Right. And and you're completely correct in that. And, and it goes even further. I mean, look how we, we put down, you know, waste management people, refuse collectors. And you, seriously, they stop for two days and it, it's piled up around the whole city. Every city in this nation will be hurting. And we minimize them, make fun of them, joke at them. And our kids are being told, oh, well, if you don't go to college, you're not going to be anything. Yet we don't have skilled workers out there to, to do good quality work that people are willing to pay for. Yeah. The, uh, one of the philosophies in Japan uh, is that all work is honorable. And if you are working, yeah. you are honored for what you do. As a society, as the culture, and I think that that's a very important thing because I appreciate I appreciate the person that's cleaning out the public bathroom I'm using. I appreciate the person that's picking yeah. up that garbage because that's a hard job, and I and not yeah, my. I deal. could not be a public bathroom cleaner. I would. Tough. I would rather just die. Yet there's people who will do that and, and do it gladly and are happy for the work yeah, and really, true. in a certain way, enjoy that in their own yeah, way, true. which is wonderful. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to reach out to Dr. John Huber, MainstreamMentalHealth.org. He is the chairman for Mainstream Mental Health, a nonprofit organization that brings lasting and positive change to Tom Bernard's life. That's what it says right here, Dr. (laughs) Dr. Huber, thanks for your time as always, sir. Thank you, Tom, and thank you, doctor. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with both of you. Have a great day, sir. Yeah, it it is amazing to me that, that that whole thing has changed. Uh, I, and I do think, what I learned immediately, the greatest generation, okay? They grew up in the Depression. Yeah. They changed the world forever. They made the world a better place. Everybody was nice and happy and the rest of it. And then my generation came along, and then the hippies came along. And I thought, oh, God, this is really nice. We're free love and all this. What a terrific idea. And then I found out, well, all these hippies are drug dealers. So apparently they're not the great people I thought they were. <laughs> They weren't as altruistic as you'd hope. Exactly. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow right here. And thanks to everybody who was on today. Great show today. Tom Bernard Show. 